a lot of hurt and a lot of emotion tied to what was happening and you acknowledged it. And I think that's the first thing that I want people to know is that don't underestimate how you can start these conversations by first acknowledging. Hello, friend. How are you doing? My name is Amy Vallejo. I'm with Social Creative Conversations, the hostess for this podcast. I am so glad to have you with me today. Hey, I'm not sure if you're hopping on for the first time or if you subscribe to this podcast, but either way, I am so excited to have you with us to hear the story of an amazing woman. That's what this podcast is all about. We are far more than the tiny little tile that comes on a social media screen. We have full lives, full histories, full stories, and it's my job to help tell those stories with the amazing creatives that come on. I also own a creative experience workshop called Social Creative Workshops. That's an opportunity to meet face-to-face. This podcast is our opportunity to come together as a community over the airwaves. I love that we can build community and cultivate relationships any way we can. That is my goal. And whether you live in Seattle or you live in Miami, Florida, or Italy, I want you to know you have become part of our community, the We Are Social Creative community. And I am so delighted to have you with us. And before we get into the bulk of today's episode, I wanted to share that this is part of a three-part series. We are going to have a very candid and honest conversation about discrimination, racism, and the conversations around it. I will be joined by a really good friend, but also a woman who is Asian American and who has lived through stories of her own experience with discrimination, racism, Asian hate, white influence. And for the first time in 12 years, I have a real honest conversation with her to hear her story. When we talk about discrimination and equity, there are two things, transactional change and transformational change. We need both in order for change to exist and be empowered. But transformational change really comes from the stories about people. It's when we truly dig in with awareness and understanding. We all come to the table with our own experiences and our own stories. No one's is the same. And so sometimes I can't fully understand. I can't walk in your shoes. I can't fully relate. What I can do is I can walk alongside someone, be there, listen, have an open mind, be aware, and investigate my own prejudices, my own biases, my own parts in the story. It's a really great conversation. And I'm not going to lie, there were moments where I felt awkward. I felt embarrassed to ask some questions. And that's growth. And honestly, I feel more knit together with her because of our conversation. So if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to part one of this three-part series, I highly recommend. It it is going to give you a more well-rounded look at who Mimi Jung is. We talk about her creative side. We talk about what it's like with life behind the screen. She has been a news anchor and in broadcast journalism for over 21 years. She is a well-known public figure in the Pacific Northwest area, and we got to just hear a little bit of the lighter side of Mimi, which was really fun. In today's episode, we dive a little deeper and the mood changes. We really get into her history and story with discrimination, with racism, with her experience with Asian hate, and we talk about her childhood, how she learned to assimilate in order to fit in. We talk about some of the barriers that led her to assimilate, like not wanting to be different, the different language or the different skin color, and how her perspective has now changed. 
we can celebrate different colors. And if we can't see different races and different colors, then we can't fully acknowledge the systemic racism and inequity that is prevalent in today's culture. She shares with us a live recording from a broadcast that they did, sharing stories of the real language being used towards people, in this case, specifically Asian Americans. And let me tell you, it is painful to listen to. And the words that keep ringing in my ear are, we can all do better. We can. And also, words matter. Our language is powerful, and we have the power to change. I want to encourage your attention to what you're going to hear. It's important. And thank you for being a part of this conversation. So we were, um, at the beginning of this, I talked a little bit about the... um, the podcast that I listened to with Brene Brown, and we're gonna have a conversation. Um, just you know, as as I was mentioning, in the context of how we, in our friendship, have never had the conversation, and especially in light of you know the the most recent news on Asian hate crimes and. Um, and the discrimination that has been felt, I mean, for a long time, and now is just becoming more publicized or people are becoming more, maybe there's like an awakening or it's, they're becoming more aware. I wanted to have just a talk about um, discrimination, equity, inclusion in regards to the Asian community and the blatant discrimination that's been happening. and. You know, I was mentioning at the beginning just the the transformational change that needs to take place where we're sending it, centering it around people. And so now we get to be invited into hearing more about your experience and listening to your story uh, in all the different parts. And, and even, you know, we were having a conversation the other day about even within the Asian community and even within your friends, that can even look different. Everyone has their own unique experience, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, so this is us listening to your experience. um, And I'm so honored that you would just share this with, with all of us, because even I was sharing with you, my nerves, I was like, man, I'm kind of nervous, even though I know you so well. Yeah never talked about this and it can be sort of a a nerve wracking thing. Yeah. And understandably so, because we don't, um, we don't really talk about race. We just don't talk about race. I just want to point out, first of all, that this conversation in this space would have never happened if you didn't say to me at one point, Hey, just wanted to acknowledge what was going on. I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm thinking about you and you know, I'm sorry. And, and you didn't say a whole lot, but mm-hmm. you let me know that this was on your mind, that you thought mm-hmm. of me when you started hearing about these stories. You knew there was a, a lot of, of, of hurt and a lot of emotion tied to what was happening. Um, and you acknowledged it. And I think that's the first thing that I want people to know is that don't underestimate how you can start these conversations by first acknowledging and you don't mm-hmm. have to even know or a lot or 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 understand a lot or say the right thing just acknowledging is a it opens the door for an opportunity for conversation and because i know you i know that you i know your heart i know that you come from a place of curiosity and um and i know that it didn't just end there right? I mean, you actually then, you know, we made dumplings together and, you know, you didn't just do that to, you know, raise money for the victims in the Atlanta shootings, but you wanted this to be an opportunity for you to have a conversation with me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, out of that, we ended up starting a conversation in which we realized, wait a second, other people can benefit from being a fly on the wall 
on this conversation. Yes. And I just want to say that it, it really did start with you first acknowledging what I might be feeling or the fact that I might be feeling something and you're not sure what it is, but you're just acknowledging it. If you had not done that, I certainly wouldn't have said, hey, Amy, hey, how's it going? Let me tell you about how I'm feeling right now, because I'm not that type of person. And I'm not really sure that that's what people generally do. You're invited Mm -hmm. to have that, Mm -hmm. to be in that space with someone else. So thank you for, for, for acknowledging, for being a good friend, for um, being vulnerable and, and willing to, uh, Put yourself in a position where you're asking questions and being curious about a subject that is sensitive and and um, can be nerve wracking to talk about. But I hope that people who are listening will walk away with a better understanding and and it be inspired and encouraged to just have that conversation with one person and to just yeah. acknowledge. And all it takes is just an acknowledgement. Can't mm-hmm. go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as a jumping board, I guess, uh, when we were talking about emotions and I was expressing to you just sort of how I was feeling, I asked you if you would put together a list or just a, a culmination of sort of some of the emotions. I thought it would be interesting just for me to do it from my perspective and where I'm coming from and for you to do it from your perspective and your experiences to hear if there, if there are, I'm sure there is similar similarities, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and yet differences within those similarities, right? You asked me to come up with words that describe how I was feeling Yes. After the death of George Floyd and all the protests we started seeing across the country a year ago, right? Yes. Yeah. So why don't you go first? So I wrote down um, six words, sad, Mm -hmm. hurt, angry, aware, unaware, and helpless. And I decided to... uh, I did it in light of this last year and really almost fine-tuned it in thinking about our conversation or the conversation that we are going to be having. So some of the things, emotions that I was feeling were shame or ashamed, appalled, guilty, very aware of my own ignorance, scared to say what I don't know, also scared to say what I do know, fearful, Fearing even in this conversation that words would come out wrong, embarrassed, overwhelmed, uncomfortable. And I think for many people, a feeling of urgency, and we'll talk more to that later, but like this feeling like, I don't like what's happening. I want to immediately fix it. So we'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, it's, I think it's an interesting thing just to hear how yeah. we're feeling some of the same things, or we can even within our own groups be feeling the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let me start off with uh, asking you a little bit about your childhood experience growing up as an Asian American. Maybe give us some context to your family, even like your grandparents immigrated here. So I was born and raised in Puyallup, mm-hmm. which is a very, very white community. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Chinese. My parents are both Chinese. They um, got married and um, moved here. My dad was technically here as a Canadian citizen first mm-hmm. um, in his late teens. He came over to basically make money and work and send it back to his family. He was the oldest in his family. And uh, my mom grew up very poor in China and she did not have an education, neither did my dad. Uh, She started working at a sewing factory when she was 12 and, you know, uh, worked to raise money for her family and to earn money for her family. And then uh, they got married and moved to Puyallup. And uh, my mom did not know any English. Mm. Um, she moved to an entirely new country and then became pregnant with me. She, uh, she and my dad raised three kids. Um, I have a brother and a sister and, um, we grew up in a, a middle-class neighborhood in a very white school district and white neighborhood. Mm. 
you know, I think that I, I faced a lot of racism and discrimination growing up. It was a constant in my life, so much so that I, it's not that I wasn't aware of it. I just accepted it. I mean, I, I remember, you know, just feeling embarrassed. Um, I remember feeling, you know, like I didn't want to, I didn't want my mom to start speaking because you could tell she had an accent Mm. and she, her grammar wasn't good. And, you know, I I remember, you know, just even that moment at at the McDonald's where she, you know, she took us to go get, you know, cheeseburgers and she's standing there talking to the cashier, placing her order. And she couldn't say the word three. She needed Mm. three cheeseburgers and she kept saying free free. She couldn't make the TH sound. Mm. And the, the, you know, the woman working behind the counter, I'm sure she was a a younger woman. I'm trying to recall. She was really rude. You know, she free, there's no free cheeseburgers here. Mm. And my mom was, you know, really patient, just kept trying to say three, like I have three kids, three, you know, doing everything she could to just, and I just remember thinking just like wanting to just Mm. shrivel up in a ball. hide. Mm -hmm. It was just so, you know, and those moments really stick with you. Just you know, I recently shared in uh, this story for the very first time. I mean, I have not talked about racism and discrimination ever with any of my friends, mm-hmm. with any of uh, growing up or as an adult until last year when my station held a diversity uh Uh, inclusion and equity workshop. And it was something that just was a coincidence. This was something in the works. This DI workshop was in the works already. And then it it happened. And I, one of the first questions they asked the moderator said was, does anybody want to share their stories of of racism and discrimination in their lives? You know, either either coming from the standpoint of um, you're white and you were racist, (laughs) you made racist comments, you're you're grew up in a family that that had racist parents, or you experienced this, uh, you know, growing up as a victim of racism. And I don't know what provoked me to share my story, yeah. but I did. And um, and I, I just talked about growing up and just um, feeling like I would come home and after someone would say something, you know, racist to me, or I would get bullied or something, that I would come home and I would tell my parents. And the message I got always was, Hmm. you know, we, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you, Hmm. but we don't fight back. Hmm. We don't, we don't say anything where there's no fighting back. We don't speak back to them. First of all, first of all, we don't talk back to anybody. We don't fight back with our words or physically or anything. Hmm. We don't say anything Hmm. because Mimi, you should just be lucky that you're in this country. Hmm. And this is part of being in someone else's country. Like, what do you expect kind of message? Mm-hmm. And so when you grow up in a, in a, in a, in a culture, in an environment, in a family that, that it, that's the message. You just don't say anything. You, you just need to be silent. You just got to take it. And in, in, and you, you need to swallow that suffering, push through that pain as part of the right to be in this country and to take advantage of all the opportunity that you have here that you couldn't have somewhere else. And so you just, you do whatever you can to feel like you belong and you grow up just, this is, I just wanted to be white, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of white friends. And I just wanted my name to be Sarah. I just, I didn't want to be Mimi that stood out. And yeah. And I, I just wanted to be white because when you grow up in a, you're a minority, you don't want to be different. Right. Right. Eventually. Yeah. You just want to be like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, so glad we're talking about this. Uh, you know, you grow up, you grew up in Puyallup, this message of you don't belong here. Do you ever get asked, where are you from? How, like, if so, how often, and how do you feel? Are you annoyed? Like, what is, what is your instant reaction to that? Yeah, I don't. <sighs> People have asked me that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it just depends on who's asking and how mm-hmm. they're asking. Mm-hmm. But there are people who ask, where are you from? Mm-hmm. And they really don't think you're from here. Right. They're, they're asking like, what Asian country right. are you, did you immigrate from? Mm-hmm. And uh, I tell them I didn't immigrate from any country. I'm from here. Mm-hmm. But then it's still, that's still not uh, enough of an answer for them. Right. If I say, 
oh, well, I was born and raised here. No, 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 no. But where are you from? Mm-hmm. It's just the way they ask it, right? And I know what they're getting at after the second round of where are you from? I go, oh, okay, you want to know, am I from China, Korea, you know, mm-hmm. Japan? What's my ethnic background mm-hmm. is where you're asking where my family's from, right? Then I go, oh, they're from China. Um, but but a lot of times people make assumptions um, about the fact that I'm not from here just because just because of what I look like. And you know, as I started be, you know, growing into adulthood and I'm in this profession where I have a very public uh, job mm-hmm. and a lot of times I'll go to the grocery store right after work when I'm in my heels and I'm in my dress and I've got my hair and makeup done and I'm, I'm looking professional. Right. I feel like I should look smart. Mm-hmm. I should look like I'm educated. I don't know all these things that it shouldn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't really matter. If I walk into a grocery store wearing sweats with no makeup and a ball cap, mm-hmm. I can still be educated and smart. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. shouldn't matter. But in my own head, I'm thinking, well, if I'm dressed like this and I look like this, then people will treat me differently. Mm-hmm. Right. And they don't. Mm-hmm. And that's where it always surprises me. I'm thinking, but I am wearing makeup and I, I do look like I'm educated mm-hmm. and people will still say things that I'm just, I still don't ever get used to it. I don't really, and I don't think that when, when that happens, that never, that hurt never really goes away. Right. It, 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 it stings and it hits this spot that, um, is deep. Yeah. And it's tough because it's like, wait a second. (laughs) I worked really hard to get to where I am. And I, I, I graduated from high school and I went to college and I, I learned everything that you did. And I, 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 I'm paying taxes and I, I am a citizen like you are. I don't understand why you don't think I speak English. Right or you're talking louder, or you think I need a translator, or I I don't know, it's tough. Mm -hmm. And um, I've never had any conversations with anyone, you know, um, pushing back against that or standing up for myself or anything. I just walk away feeling like, well, I guess this is what it's like to live in America as an Asian American. Mm. Hmm. And I remember telling my friends this recently in a conversation. I said that I've never felt like I belong Mm. and that I've worked my whole life to get to, you know, if I graduate college, if I get this job, if I become the morning anchor of a TV station, then surely I'll feel like I belong. Right. And I, and I think, oh my gosh, I'm in my mid forties. And there, there are many, many, many times, most of the time I still feel like I don't belong. Like I still have to work harder or do something else. I don't know what that else is, but, and my friends looked at me and they go, what, Mm. what do you mean? You don't feel like you belong. They could not wrap their head around the idea that I didn't feel like I belong. And I, I have had to like really, um, in this last year, ask myself, where does that come from? And why do I feel that way? Even now? And why do people not see me that way? And why do some people really don't, they really don't think I belong? You know, I have friends who are like, of course you belong. And then uh, I know there are other people in this country who it doesn't matter. They still feel like, well, you don't really belong. Mm -hmm. You're an outsider. That's hard. Mm -hmm. That's hard to, um, to reconcile, to, to know that your identity is, is, is it's confusing. Yeah. Do you, I'm thinking about like your earliest experiences with feeling like that. How far back do you remember having that feeling or even, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the McDonald's experience or barriers that you observed growing up, not feeling celebrated. You know, you Mm -hmm. had mentioned, gosh, I just want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at school. You know, yeah. please don't bring me anything that is going to yeah. be in second grade, yes. second grade. My mom, I forgot my lunch. My mom came in and, you know, brought me the lunch and I was mortified, you know, that she was in the classroom and she had to, you know, she spoke to me in Chinese and, you know, I was speaking a different language and a different food and just, yeah. I mean, I, I, as far back as I can, 
as a child has memories is how far back that goes. Mm-hmm. Moving into a new neighborhood, mm-hmm. five, just, mm-hmm. just knowing I was different from other kids and that, that um, you know, my house smelled differently. If you walked into my house, I would notice that walking into, you know, Janae's house, Janae's house always smelled better. Mm-hmm. You know, just, it smelled different because they had different foods and I'd be embarrassed to have my friends over because it just smelled different, you know, and, and because it wasn't celebrated, you were embarrassed by that. And I don't think at the, you know, when you're, your kids, you're, you're growing up with a bunch of white classmates and that is, you're just different. And those differences aren't celebrated, then you don't feel like you belong. Mm -hmm. Which is even greater than the separation or awkwardness that you already feel, right? You're, you're completely, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think of like middle school, junior high, everyone has those, like, you just feel different from everyone that's innate, from being that age, but then also it's almost like you're not even, you're not even starting off on a level playing ground at all, because then you also have that other feeling. And that's another layer. Like I didn't have that feeling growing up and you Mm -hmm. did. And because of that, you know, I, I am always acutely aware Mm -hmm. no matter where I go or who I'm hanging out with that I'm the minority. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it, I'm always aware of that. It's not a, necessarily a negative thing. I'm just always aware. I'm just aware mm-hmm. uh, where I live, where I shop, my workplace, among my friends. I'm ju- I just don't look like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I have different, I have a different family background than everybody else. And so I'm always I feeling different. I just always feel different. Whereas I'm sure a lot of my friends it never occurs to them right. that they feel different among their friends. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's the same for your kids or is it? I don't think so. And, and I say that because yes, they're half Asian, half Swiss, mm-hmm. they're half and half. Mm-hmm. And because of just that, they don't look full Asian, mm-hmm. which means that they don't they don't receive the same type of discrimination. Furthermore, they're not growing up in a household that is like we, they're growing up in a very American household. Right. Right. I'm, I speak English. They have English speaking parents. Mm -hmm. They live in a very, you know, yes, the Chinese culture is part of their lives, Mm -hmm. but not in the way it was for me. Right. Right. And so, yes, they're exposed to it, but they're so they're, they're farther removed from it. So I'm not, I'm not sure. And I'm just starting to have those conversations with my children Mm -hmm. about, about all of this. And that has happened as a result of, of what I've experienced over the last year that has allowed me to be more aware. And I'm going to be a better parent by navigating this, this, these race conversations with them so that they, understand, even though they can't, they didn't live through those experiences like I did, they can appreciate the differences between their dad's family that immigrated here and the difference between their mother's family who immigrated here and why, yes, there are similarities because both families, you know, immigrated here, but the massive differences Mm -hmm. and, um, the things that we're seeing in this country and why I've had to explain to my children that mm-hmm. because they don't really understand why. Well, and we, I was thinking about this yesterday, um, generation, like the generational struggles, right? Like exactly what you just said. Uh, my, my grandparents came from Holland on a boat. They came here, not speaking English. Uh, they had to learn to do everything. They felt isolated. They felt alone. They were definitely different. So similar experiences and yet vastly different at the same time. Your family probably wasn't shunned right, because they were immigrants. Right. Your family because of the color of their skin were, were accepted. There was a welcoming, a belonging mm-hmm. that they probably, yes, that took time, yeah. you know, because they were coming from a different country, but assimilating for them mm-hmm. was easy. That, that is a, that is a massive difference to, to, to come to a country in which you are faced with verbal and uh, physical discrimination, harassment, racist slurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, those things I don't hear other communities of immigrants mm-hmm. having to deal with. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where 
it surprises me that people are surprised by that, mm. that they don't know that that happens today, that that has happened for, for decades and continues to happen today. And I think what, what this last year has brought out is it's not that suddenly people now have hate towards a, a, a group of people of color. It's not like suddenly people overnight became racist or became hateful. Mm -hmm. People were always like that. Now, in this last year, they felt empowered to be more blatant about it. Mm -hmm. And so these thoughts that people might have had or the sort of hush, hush, I'm going to say this underneath my breath and make some sort of racist comment is now just out loud. They're saying it on social media. They're saying it to you in person. They're doing things that are, are just outright blatant racist acts mm -hmm. that because of video we have now captured, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that with the black community, the way they felt with George Floyd is that this isn't, this isn't new. Hello, America. Right. This is not new. Do you know how many black people die at the hands of police mm -hmm. in this country and how long that's been happening? Mm -hmm. Now, just because you've seen it, you, you suddenly become aware. And I, I now can relate to that feeling within the Black community of now suddenly people are acting like they care or they're aware. Wait a second. We've been talking about this for a while. Mm -hmm. why, why now? For the Asian American community, it's, it's a little different. Well, it's a lot different because we have been a culture of people who are typically silent. And so we don't fight back. We don't talk about our struggles. We don't collect our voices and, and scream, stop. That's why what's happening now in this country is such a big deal yeah. because I didn't grow up in this environment where you have Asian celebrities and sports figures and politicians and well-known authors using their platforms to say, stop. This is not okay. This is why it hurts. We, we have to be better and um, sharing their own personal stories of their own struggles. I didn't grow up in that environment. Mm -hmm. And had I, I would have probably felt more empowered to stand up for myself and to voice um, my hurt and my anger and my pain. But instead, you just deal with that. You stuff it, you stuff it and you go, you move on. And so it's a part of your life, but you don't let it become something that overtakes you. Instead, you channel that pain into working harder. At least I did, right? right? Like if I'm more successful, if I get to this you know, position in life, if I have this house, if I have this car, I don't know, something that, that people will then say, okay, well, we value that. So mm. then we value you and you belong. Mm. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it, <laughs> as I've seen over the last year, none of that really matters. Yeah. I wanted to ask, looking back at the language that you were raised with, that your parents maybe used in the whole, we don't belong here language. Um, you know, they, they sacrificed to come over, but from your family's story, the whole, it's a gift to live here. Some of the things that you heard, how do you feel about that now? Well, I, you know, it's thinking back and I was thinking about conversations that my, my mom would have and, and, you know, she would never technically say we don't belong, but it was unspoken. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I understood from a very young age that my parents came here so that we could have a better life mm -hmm. so that their kids could live out a life they they could not ever have for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that responsibility as, as, as Asian Americans with immigrant parents is that you feel this huge responsibility to, to go to college and to be successful and to take advantage of every opportunity that you've been given because your parents sacrificed for you and do as much as you possibly can with that to make up for the sacrifices and the suffering that they experienced. And what I look back now is, look, my brother and my sister and I are very comfortable. We live comfortably. We are successful. Uh, I, I went to a great college. I am enjoying 
the American dream. And so because of that, I, I know it's a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift to live in this country. It is a gift to be able to have freedom of expression and speech. A, a multitude of things that I'm enjoying as a U.S. citizen. And I, I always remember that. And I, I know that I don't take that for granted. I'm not angry. Um, I'm very appreciative. I still am very appreciative. I know that it was because my dad came here and 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 he, you know, owned a restaurant and he worked six days a week, you know, 14, 16 hour days mm-hmm. being the breadwinner of the family. The fact that he was able to send me to a private college mm-hmm. where tuition was, you know, equal to $100,000 at the yeah. time for yeah. four years was the fact that my immigrant parents mm-hmm. who my dad owned a restaurant mm-hmm. and scraped by was able to do that for me so that I can then work hard and take advantage of that. Nothing was ever handed to me. Nothing was ever given to me financially or, or otherwise. And I had to work, but I used that. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't in this country. Mm-hmm. And so I know that I'm, I'm living a comfortable life and that I'm able to provide for my children in a way where they're comfortable. It's because we're in this country. Mm. And so I, I feel grateful. I, I feel a a deep sense of appreciation for what my parents did and, um, and, and for what this country allows us to have. Mm -hmm. So from that, how are you, I guess not, it wouldn't be changing the narrative, but what's the narrative to your kids for their own experience? Like what kind of conversations are you having with your kids that you maybe didn't have growing up? Um, and how are you celebrating their differences? Well, as I started to really kind of unpack all of these feelings that I've been having over the last year, mm-hmm. one thing, one of the things I realized was as Asian Americans, we, we assimilate, mm-hmm. right? A, many, the, a, a common theme you will hear is that we do whatever we can to assimilate. And we, as a result, sacrifice a lot of ourselves, of our own identity. Mm-hmm. I have friends who have who, Asian reporters who changed their names, who were forced to change their last name mm. because it was too hard to pronounce mm-hmm. because it, you know, the, the viewer is going to, it's, they're not going to be able to wrap their heads around this Cambodian last name. So just change it to Kim. Mm. It's going to be a lot easier to swallow. We assimilate. We, we do things to make other people feel comfortable. And we do these things without even realizing the sacrifice of our own identity. Mm-hmm. And because when you grow up trying to assimilate, all I wanted to do was be white. I wanted to be like everyone else. Mm-hmm. As a result, what I didn't realize till just recently is that I thought, no, you shouldn't see color. You shouldn't see color. I don't, I want to be like everyone else. I don't want to be this color. Mm-hmm. I want to be, I want to be white. I want everyone to be treated equally. So we shouldn't see color. And when I became a parent, that's what I taught my kids. It's like, no, we don't see color. We don't see color. We treat everybody equally. It shouldn't matter if they're Native American or Black or Asian American, white, everybody should be treated equally. And what I realize now that I didn't realize for the last 40 years is that when you don't see color, you can't appreciate the differences. You can't celebrate the differences. You can't acknowledge the differences. And you can't, if you're not acknowledging the differences, then you can't acknowledge the suffering that comes along with it. If you can't acknowledge the differences, then you can't understand or acknowledge the systemic racism that exists in our country. You can't acknowledge that there is an equity because you think everything's equal. And the truth is, it's not. So it's important that we see color. We see people of color. We see different races and the stereotypes that go along with these races. And what are we doing to dismantle them? And, and we appreciate these different communities of color within the Asian American community. There are differences within the Asian American community. We're not all the same. We're not a monolith. Mm -hmm. And so we should appreciate those differences Mm -hmm. and we should see them. And so I've suddenly become having to change what I've been teaching my kids and point out the differences, Mm -hmm. but celebrate them too. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge why this group of people doesn't get treated the same way. Mm -hmm. If you think everyone's equal, you're not going to point out why they don't get treated the same way because you think everyone's the same. Mm -hmm. Well, how in the world are you going to be teaching? Nothing makes sense then, right? Nothing makes sense in this world in terms of affordable housing and homelessness and all these things where 
you know what, if you don't realize that people are different and they don't have the same advantages that you do, what privileges do you have in your life that other people don't, then you're going to grow up. I'm raising children who are going to grow up to be adults who just don't get it. And someday they're going to wake up and go, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. You're not changing the culture at all. You're not, yeah. You're not changing anything. So that's, that's what I've discovered in sort of unearthing my own identity um, is, is getting comfortable with that, first of all, Mm -hmm. and then parenting differently. Mm -hmm. You know, talking about silence as the enemy and just, you know, seeing how that exists in the Asian community, standing up for justice, how we're seeing more people stand up and, and be open and talk. Have you, or do you ever feel nervous or hesitant to share your own experiences? I mean, I'm guessing no, because here you are (laughs) talking about it now, but- I, I, I am not afraid to share my stories, mm-hmm. my experiences, um, my perspective mm-hmm. with anyone who is truly willing to listen and learn. Mm-hmm. If you really want to know, I, I can't think of a better way to open up someone else's eyes mm-hmm. than by talking and sharing personal stories. Because as you alluded to, there's the, there's the, there are the facts and then there are the stories. And the facts are one thing. But knowing another human being who can share their stories with you uh, will hit you in a different way than just reading about it as a statistic. So I don't mind sharing at all. It's just not something that um, I've ever talked about because we don't talk about this in our country. We don't talk about this in the classrooms. We should. Mm -hmm. We should. Kids don't learn about, um, they learn about Black history but they don't learn about it in the way that they should, mm-hmm. right? In, in, in truly hearing these stories of, of what it's like to be Black in America and why still today, like if, they ha- if, 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 if our classrooms had human beings who came into the classroom to talk about their own story, not something that happened 40 years ago, but today, mm-hmm. the racial profiling, the 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 discrimination, the racism, all of that Mm -hmm. today, well, suddenly it becomes very relevant and real Mm -hmm. and it is relevant Mm -hmm. and real. And so I don't, I don't, I really don't mind. I don't, I don't mind anybody asking any questions about anything because I really believe that, like, I understand that you growing up the way you did, you have no idea, nor should you understand what it was like for me because you, you didn't, that wasn't your world. That wasn't your world. So how, why would I expect you to know? But when people's awareness is heightened, like now, and people aren't taking advantage of the opportunity to ask questions and have those conversations, I, I, I I'm troubled by that. Mm-hmm. I would be troubled by, by, by people not taking advantage of the opportunity to do that now, because I think there are a lot of people willing to, to open up. And I think what I'm seeing now in particular is that um, people in the Asian American community are saying, we're not silent anymore. Mm-hmm. We are done being silent. And they're starting to use their voices. And that has empowered me to use mine because I do know that people pay attention. And, you know, earlier in this conversation, you and I were talking about how, you know, um, as, a, as an anchor, how do you maintain your composure and not share your emotion when you are clearly feeling something? Right. And, and how I know that the platform that I have via social media and, and, and what I do every single day on TV is the ability to be able to tell these stories of what's happening in the Asian American community, to talk to my managers about content, about making sure that we're covering these stories. But more than that, when I speak and I'm a voice, I know people will listen because of what I do. And if there's anything I can take away from my career and say, you know what, I was put on this earth Mm -hmm. to do this for this reason, I want to use it. Mm -hmm. This is where I feel like, no, I don't mind talking about it because I know that people will listen. And I I wanted to share this with you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw this or not, but I want to share this with you. And it's an example of um, what we talked about earlier in part one, about maintaining composure, about talking about these stories, about how you might be affected, but how as a news anchor, how could you not be affected? And as I was going through, you know, after, after the shootings in Atlanta, and it just, it, 
you know, so many Asian Americans were dealing with you know, just so many different emotions surrounding that. Part of my job was, you know, I felt like, I'm not sure if people get it. I feel like we're telling the story and we're talking about all these statistics about, you know, the number of hate crimes have gone up this percentage and, and this year, da, 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 and there's all these numbers and there's another rally. And, but are people stopping and going, oh my gosh, are they, are they just seeing the assault that they're seeing, you know, on social media and going, ooh, ow, gosh, that's terrible. And then moving on. Do they really understand the hurt? Like what, get examples of, of what is happening from not just people being killed, not just people being assaulted, but hateful messages being left on people's, you know, lawns and doorsteps and fences, people shouting, you know, racist things to other people. Do people really get it? And so this, mo- this one morning, I just, I just looked at my coworker and I said, I don't think I don't think we're telling the story enough. And I said, you know, I just read a couple of things on social media. I feel like we should set the story up by sharing. And luckily my producer said, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And um, so, so we put it on the air and I started reading and I just want to share this with you. Today marks a national day to speak out against hate toward Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Leaders around the country want to draw attention to the nearly 4,000 AAPI crimes that have been reported in the past year. We're not just talking about assaults and attacks on people. Here are some other examples. Stop AAPI has heard from some people saying that 21% of incidents involve shunning or avoidance. For example, one incident, a ride-sharing driver said to someone, damn. Another Asian riding with me today. I hope you don't have any COVID. And leaned his head out the window. 7% of incidents reported to stop AAPI hate involve coughing or spitting. A Pacific Islander said they were at the mall when a woman coughed and said, you and your people are the reason why we have Corona. Go sail a boat back to your island. Are you okay? I am. These rallies will happen across the country to speak out against Asian hate crimes. The president and the vice president will be taking part in an event in Georgia where Asian American women were shot and killed a few weeks ago. And here in Seattle, there will be a virtual event. Amy Moreno's live in Seattle's Chinatown International District with more on, I'm sure, what will be a really emotional event as people across the country are trying to raise awareness. Amy. Amy, thank you. We stand with you, Mimi. We stand with everyone in the AAPI community, all of us, and uh, we hear you. I think it's really important to share these stories, so I made an effort to try to give people examples of the hate um, that is happening in our community. I'm not sure if the people really, really understand, so it's important that we listen. Everyone can make a difference. Yeah. That's, the, that's the point. Yep, we can all do better. Uh, I think that, you know, um, I think you could hear. Mm. I mean, I didn't realize in that moment mm. that I was going to start crying, uh, clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think that I share that example because it, it points to, as I'm telling the story, I'm trying to maintain composure. I'm trying to tell it. You can hear passion in my voice, mm-hmm. but what you also heard and witnessed was that's it cuts deep. Yeah. That, that, that hurt is something that I've personally experienced. Yeah. And so when I have to relive it, in someone else's example, you can't help. I just couldn't help, but, um, but react. Right. And I, when my co-anchor said, you know, do you need me to jump in? I knew in that moment, like, no, Mm. no, no, no. I have to push through, through my tears, through this giant lump in my throat, because I need for people to hear the story from me. Not that I should be the only person to tell these stories, I shouldn't, everyone should be telling these stories. But for me, it was important that I made sure I followed through. And, um, and that's where the human part of me couldn't hold back any longer. Like I couldn't just read, I've been reading these stories on the news for a while now and have had to try to clench my fists and you know try to just read them and, and not be, read them like completely outraged and, and, and or hurt by it. And um, in that example was just one where um, it's clear that the hurt is very surface level, like meaning it's just below the surface is what I mean. Like it's, it's there. The feedback I got from people was that uh, they suddenly stopped. Mm. 
they stopped that morning and they looked at the TV mm-hmm. and they heard. Mm, yeah. So, you know, I share those stories because I, I, I really want people to understand that um, what is hate? Yeah. What, what, forms, what form does hate come in? And it, it comes in all kinds of forms and that words matter. And that, and that if someone's sitting at a stoplight and someone's shouting racial slurs at you, that that, that cuts and that hurts, um, sometimes more than a, a physical wound. That may seem like a very weird place to cut off, but I felt like it was so powerful. It is so true that words cut deeper than physical pain. We all have a voice. It's your choice in how you use it. And I've got to say, if you are listening to this and you in some way resonate with Mimi's story, you also have a voice of change. Your story can be just as powerful as hers to me as it is to somebody else. She was talking about, you know, hearing Asian celebrities and people with platforms using it to share pains and hurts and how powerful that can be. And that is your power too. And I would just encourage you Share it, speak it, lean in. And for everybody else, tune in, lean in, listen. Don't speak at, but just be quiet to listen. And I got to tell you, after this podcast was recorded, Mimi and her daughters, actually her daughter is the one that organized it with another young gal. They held a protest to use words on signs and on the street, coming out of their mouth, to stand up for what they believed in and stand against hate and stand against discrimination. And I just applaud them. Whatever means you have, however you are able to do that within your own circle, summon the bravery and feel empowered because your story has a far bigger impact than you may realize. Thanks for being a part of this conversation. I'll see you in part three.